used to be really expensive. That's all flipped. We have doers, makers and pros. Welcome to the Genuine X podcast. My name's Tom. I'm one of the creatives on the Genuine X team. Thanks for joining us. This week, Martin and I talked to Stefan from Bear Conductive. Bear Conductive began back in 2009 and they are one of the elder statesmen of the Silicon Roundabout scene. Currently, Bear Conductive produces a suite of printed electronic products that enables individuals and companies to integrate electronics directly into their environment. We spoke to Stefan about prototyping, partnerships, and how Bear Conductive as a company has worked and listened to its audience's needs as it grows and develops. Stefan also talked to us about Bear Conductive's platform, which is on the horizon. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello. Hi. Hello. How are you doing? I'm very well. <laughs> so, I don't really know where I am or why. Uh, that's fine. You go and sit, you seat yourself over there. That's Come cool. and pull up a pew. I'm going to smash in one. Thank you very much. See you later. Good job. See you. Uh, I'm going to smash in one unit of breakfast. No, go for it. I'm going to eat the other unit of breakfast whilst we eat. Go for it. You can go, go right ahead. Um, thanks very much for doing the podcast. Um, it's, but essentially, like, it's, it's quite a chilled one, so... We just talk about the stuff that interests you. We talk about what you're up to, where you see the future going, things like that. So if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself and uh, where you're from. Yeah, sure. So my name's Stefan Juszewski-Smith. I'm head of technology at Bear Conductive and we are a material science and smart services company based in London. And could you just tell us a little bit more about Bear Conductive, like where it began? Sure. So Bear Conductive started at the Royal College of Art in the innovation design engineering course as a final year project. Um, I was studying there at the time, although I was not one of the original four founding members. My final year project was something different. Uh, and the main, um, the main focus of the project was around on-body and near-body electronics um, and things that we might now class under the wearables category. Uh, but the biggest issue that they really faced in, in the original four founders, Matt, Becky, Isabel and Bibi, um, was that they struggled to get hold of interesting conductive materials. So they could get hold of wire, no problems, copper tape, but things like conductive pastes and inks um, were not readily available in small volumes. Um, and often the processing was complicated or it required toxic material handling. And so they kind of pivoted what they were thinking about and said, right, well, let's make our own paint that's non-toxic and water-soluble. And I mean, I don't think those were original design requirements, but it, it sort of ended up that way so that they had something to experiment with. And 10 years later, you, you've got this company selling internationally, obviously with a lot of steps in between, but it wasn't long between um, leaving the RCA. I think we graduated in 2009 and I think our first sale was in 2011. Um, I really hope I've got that right, but that's about right. And then our hardware offerings, or at least the touchboard started in 2014. And so that gives you an idea of kind of the pace at which that, you know, the company accelerated there. And then in the intervening five years between 2014 and now, We've been developing other consumer products and kits, improving our offerings to consumers and developing a lot of business-to-business -business, uh, leads. And the core product, because it's one of those things is it's, with the lack of pictures, it is, it is, it's essentially, it's a, it's a black paint 
that substitutes for essentially wires. That's right? it. So you can kind of create circuits by painting them. Yeah, exactly. So uh, exactly as you describe, um, it's, it's sort of a 50 millimeter pot is our core product, although we also do it in a tube. And it's a glossy black paint. It looks and feels very much like either poster paint or acrylic. Uh, and you can apply it the same kind of way. And as you say, it is a conductor, so it can replace things like wires. And I'm going to caveat that by saying in certain circumstances, because <laughs> we do occasionally get people saying, can I rewire my house with this? And you're like, no, please don't. That would be a really bad idea for lots of reasons. The main one would be that the wires that we use commonly to wire up our houses, to wire up consumer mm. electronics, to connect audio equipment like we have in, in the studio here, uh, it's all copper or aluminium. Um, and that's a relatively conductive metal. Our paint is based largely around carbon as the main conductor, which is significantly less conductive. So if you want to get high current to provide high heavy power to things, you're going to either need an awful lot of our paint, or you're going to maybe reconsider the way that, that you, you attack that problem. Um, there are a wide variety of conductive inks and pastes available globally. Lots of the more conductive ones are loaded with silver or copper. You might choose to use them. You might choose to attack it with wires or more traditional electronics. But where carbon-based uh, conductors really come into their own is that carbon is a very easy material to work with, so the toxicity and the processing is much... Um, the toxicity is lower and the processing is easier. And the, the cost is relatively low compared to, to metals. Um, and also that then lends itself to being able to print large areas relatively cheaply. And that's our major kind of um, technological area that we uh, address is in um, is impedance sensing, but specifically capacitive sensing. Um, and so that's where you create a large painted pad and you create an electric field around that pad and you can detect disturbances in that field effectively. So if you bring your hand close to this, this pad, you can detect that your hand is closer or further away. It's very similar to the technology that is used in your smartphone screen on the touch screen, um, but it's optimized for greater distances. Um, and that, that's kind of the, the, the core of our business is around the conductive paint and around capacitive sensing. And for all of those restrictions that you just talked about, it's actually it's actually a very liberating product because it unlocks creativity. Because what you've what you've done is you've given people a paint that they can apply to most surfaces, which they can then turn into and turn a regular surface into an interactive surface. So in simple terms, you can push a button and it can turn on a light without the need for any kind of complicated wiring. You just need an LED and a battery and a, and a pot of your paint. You can do it, yeah. And I think that the simplicity of that interaction, of painting something, seeing it dry, seeing the circuit physically, is a really important part of the perceived simplicity of the product. The complexity of it all comes afterwards, right? The subtlety and the restrictions and everything else. But if you can see something, paint it, see a result, uh, do it in a way that doesn't produce fumes, it's the kind of thing that you can do on your own without feeling like 
you might get it wrong. I mean, there, there's a huge... Consumer electronics imposes this idea that we're doing it wrong as the consumer all the time, right? Even Apple, who are the great exponents of it, it just works, told us that we were holding our phones wrong when mm. the antennas weren't working and all things like this. Um, and I think that the fact that it feels like it's just paint, it worries people a lot less. They're like, okay, well, I can mess around with a pot of paint and if I use a whole pot of paint and nothing gets made I don't feel bad about that it feels softer more approachable and and that kind of low barrier to entry is really important again I I don't think having low barriers of entry for entry can ever really be a bad thing maybe in terms of uh, military equipment it might be a bad idea to have a low barrier to entry but for most other stuff it gets more people, a wider variety of people from a wider variety of backgrounds interested in whatever technology it is. You start to get more synthesis of ideas, understanding, people trying stuff that is maybe uh, that you might not even think to try if you're trained in the art, so to speak, because of the freedom that you're mentioning of just being able to experiment and play. But also professionals aren't worried that there's a low barrier to entry. Something's easy to use. Mm. It's still a good thing for somebody who, you know, is we, we uh, sell our paint to universities, research labs all over the world, some of whom buy uh, quite large quantities of our paint and never tell us what they're doing with it. And there's an area of mystery there. Yeah. Um, but it's clearly working for them. Because there's something, something so great about your products in... Uh you kind of put the product out and what came back was we use it for this we use it for this we use it for this like it's similar to twitter like twitter never really understood what their product how people would use their products and they kind of have built the product around how people use it do you see what i mean and it strikes me there's a bit of a similarity between you guys and and that model in that you kind of looked out into the world how people are using your products and kind of then pushed a little bit more towards it and kind of understood the use cases and the creativity that people were applying to 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 maximize its effect yes certainly i think as i say when the the website first launched with the pot of paint i wasn't uh involved with the with the company on a day-to-day basis but i don't think anybody in the company fully knew how it might be received we were selling a pot of electrically conductive paint that's it I can't actually remember on the day it launched whether there were any tutorials, maybe a couple to contextualise it. But beyond that, it was completely up to the consumer. And that's quite a weird thing to sell, to be a a one-product company and the one product on its own doesn't do any any complete thing. It is a material for experimentation. But it really took off, and, and as soon as people started buying it, they started doing things that we didn't expect. And we were lucky enough, or we encouraged, I think, I have a feeling, and I might be wrong, this certainly isn't the kind of thing that you can do in a post-GDPR world, but I think that maybe early on when people bought the product, we might have emailed them back and said, what did you do with it? And that started Mm. with people certainly started people started submitting uh things that they'd done and we encouraged that we created a huge part of our website is posts that other people have submitted of their projects to us posts and tutorials i mean we're actually going through a whole um optimization uh of our website right now and i think one of the challenges we have is is that i think we have four and a half thousand images on our site and we're looking to optimize page loads so we're going to have to work out compressing them but those four and a half thousand images are four and a half thousand images of things largely that people have done that we didn't expect mixed in obviously with images from our tutorials yeah your users are creating all of your content which is a fantastic place to be 
Yeah, and it, what's nice is that that feels truly symbiotic. It's not as if we are taking people's projects and ripping them off or claiming that they're our own. Um, we're well aware that a lot of the really interesting insights that happen are around what people do with our stuff rather than the product itself and in and of itself the product is a tool that allows people to do this and that's what we've really tried to develop so when we've seen people uh, doing a lot of interactive walls we've not suddenly spun off a bear conductive interactive wall company we've said how do we support those customers when we see um, larger businesses industrial companies who are saying look we have this challenge where we'd like to detect this one thing we don't suddenly go okay well we're going to make a, a detector for this idea that you gave us we work out how we can support that company to do it and how we can support other big companies to prototype rapidly because you guys have such a breadth of use cases right i mean in all the different sectors we've got like health we've got retail we've got education yeah it's uh it can be difficult to know where to focus a lot of the time um and i think early on uh the focus was often around oh somebody's emailed us quick you know we should we should go and immediately see them or dedicate a lot of resource to that as companies are in their very earliest stages. But quite rapidly, we realised that that's not a way to help a lot of people. Putting huge amounts of resource into one-to-one um, customer support is not as valuable as identifying, okay, people are doing things you know, research in healthcare, so we should see how we can support that. Or people are using this in education. We we have, um, we used to have a whole set of flashing card kits that we've now um, evolved into our uh, electric paint lamp kit, and that's all around giving people something that takes the paint, which is relatively abstract, and gives them a finishable doable project yeah. which hits people at a range of uh, a range of ages and has the ability for customization because that allowed us to support and provide a product for people who wanted to do crafty type things people who enjoy um, electronics as a kind of maker hobby people who wanted to use the paint to teach um, basic things about electronics to their kids and to give their kids a way of experimenting so we try and identify commonality and provide both product but then also tutorials and resources that go with that and it seems that there's there's definitely this wave which has happened over i want to say the last 10 years which i think has been quite fortuitous for businesses such as yourself which is there's been a rise of maker culture and internet of things um there's been the beginning of kickstarter and the fact that that companies like you can come to market a lot simpler and get funding i think also more interestingly and we've had you've just done one of our breakfast talks to the agency but we've also had the founder of tech will save us has done uh, one of our talks here as well who who do kind of similar kits with things like play-doh and creating circuits with with play-doh and what's really interesting for that is it's it's taking all of these stem subjects and turning them into really accessible toys which are teaching very young children like i've given i've given one of these i've built one of your little conductive houses with young children um as well as the kind of you know, the, the equivalent tech will save us have got their little marvel play-doh kits and it's really brilliant that it's enabling really young people to understand electronics basically yeah and again we we focus a lot of our development um on making sure that it can be 
used and enjoyed by the widest variety of people. I think we are hugely fortuitous that Kickstarter came along when it did. As I said uh, in the talk earlier, we were at the point where we uh, launched our Kickstarter for the Touchboard in 2014. We were the um, highest funded Kickstarter in the UK at that point. Kickstarter had just launched in the UK uh, a few months prior, I think. Uh, we've since been overtaken significantly, which is great. I mean, it, it proves the value of the, the platform, um, but it has helped us reach people. I think the development of uh, the maker community has been fantastic in that. Um, I mean, it's cool to be quite nerdy. I remember at school, you know, I'm, what, 34 now. So when I was at school, I was really interested in taking stuff apart and kind of setting fire to stuff and all the kind of things that you shouldn't do as a kid and you know mixing up chemicals or you know and being interested in electronics I remember taking stuff apart and I can't imagine that there was any way that I could have shared that with a lot of my classmates I have some very good friends with whom I did share that but there was no structure around that and I think tech will save us I know Daniel Hirschman who's the mm. one of the founders at yeah, yeah. tech will save us quite well and Bethany um, in fact Daniel and I uh, have both worked previously in the same role at Jason Bruce Studio. So Daniel right, okay. was uh, their technologist before I did that role for a while. Um, but I think what brings all of that together is this idea that there is, that, that making is a thing. And it extends beyond electronics. You know, the success of programs like the Great British Bake Off, the, uh, the Sewing Bee, all of these kinds of programs that have sprung up, I think is a similar reaction to people wanting to be more engaged in making, to be more engaged in being less of a passive consumer uh, and more of somebody who, okay, we're all buying through globalised sourcing and, and uh, manufacturing chains, but being able to modify that in some way or to fix it or to create something that's yourself and then platforms like Twitter and Instagram for sharing that, that all kind of goes together in a way that I think would have been difficult to predict as a, an overall phenomenon has grown in this kind of piecewise manner. Um, and I think that it's, it's good for people's mental health. Um, I genuinely, you know, I'm a big fan of uh, of talking about mental health. I think it's really important, something that actually our generation has, has become a lot better at. And I think that making stuff with your hands, it chills people out. It gives yeah, people yeah. a distraction. It's productive, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it doesn't just have to be about, again, not about making something new always, as much as it is about fixing something old or deciding that you're bored with a particular thing that you have, so turning it into something else. I think that that sense of renewal is really important for for people to to be able to focus on and doing it in a in a way that fits with the time available and often the space available. One of the nice things about electronics is that you don't need uh, I mean you don't need a lot of kit and actually with our electric paint often you don't need to do any soldering or anything like that you know it can really collapse down the space you need to kind of the size of a, an A4 sheet of yeah, paper you can do it on your desk at work exactly and actually to, and, to, and to that point is one of the other trends that has happened over the last few years and I wonder what your, your perspective on this is that there has been a rise of there's been a rise of, of labs in agencies such as ours there's been a rise of uh, internet of things being um, proposed as creative solutions to brands and there has been a rise of taking prototypes into pictures. And I, I myself have taken a few prototypes into pictures that have contained bare conductive because it's just so quick and simple to create something interactive. 
that doesn't require a degree in electronics to do. And I just wonder what you're kind of from your side. Is that something you've observed? Have you been involved in that or have you just sort of watched it from the outside as people use your product? I think both. I think we get um so on the on the consumer side I've definitely seen uh the explosion of the Internet of Things as as an opportunity. I mean computing and connected computing is now a, a commoditized you know you can almost buy it by the pound um you can get internet connected microcontrollers for a couple of dollars and so that lowers the the cost barrier to connecting something the nice thing about it it's become a bit of a wild west so people you know people talk about internet connected toasters and all sorts of mm-hmm. uh slightly gimmicky and, and novel things that maybe don't have all that much value and i i think we're kind of just start actually to get past that that novel element as people start to find applications that are genuinely useful so things like being able to control um lighting and so on partially for ease but also for things like security in your home um and as that's kind of that's trickled down into the maker community, I think one of the really the amazing thing that has kind of happened is that when I was at university, dev kits, development kits for doing basic prototyping, used to be really expensive because they kind of had priced into them um, an annoyance factor, I suppose, of the company who was selling, you know, the semiconductor vendor, in as much as they wanted to price the kit so that you didn't get average people buying it you only got professional engineers who might then create a product but and also who might not need as much support Uh, and if they did the cost of the support was somewhat priced into the value of the kit that's all flipped because again with things like kickstarter you want to be selling to everybody and making it as easy as possible for everybody because you don't know who might come up with a new product the ease the the barrier that's come down and the ease with which iot solutions can now be implemented and really arduino and their standardization of this um shield form factor to allow people to swap and create um electronic products or electronic projects in a kind of plug and play manner with relatively simple code i think it frustrates some engineers who look down on Arduino and say, oh, well, it's it's not this or it's not that. But for me, yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah. I love nothing more than people coming to me and saying, oh, I, I did this half thing and I want to, uh, there's this one thing I need to do with it or I'd like to push it forward or what do you think? The ability of somebody to go from just an idea or a sketch, but actually to have something physical to prototype with and physical to discuss and critique together, it's really powerful, whether that's in pitches, whether that's kids saying, I want to make a thing, right? And and being able to kind of realise it with relatively slot together parts, maybe with a tiny bit of soldering or a tiny bit of programming. We kind of split our... Internally, we think about customers in, in three kind of ways. We have doers makers and pros and it's a very simple um, split but it helps us understand the ways that people use our products doers might want to complete a project so for them things like the electric paint lamp kit is great because you you start with um, you're going to make be able to make three different types of lamps we step you through how you can do that and that's great. They they have a project that can be done in limited time. They feel that they've made something, that they've had some um, agency in, in its creation, and they get all the positivity out of that along with the learning. Makers often want to do something like that, but then add their own twist or combine 
products like ours with other products. And for them, we try and support with good code examples for our programmable products like the Touchboard. Um, and we try and create tutorials that show how to integrate other boards with our board. And pros often just really want a data sheet and the product and to be left alone. They've got their own idea. Um, electronics might be their profession uh, during the day. It might also be their hobby at night. But they want solid um solid example code examples solid libraries good documentation and the freedom to to work on their own and often we actually find that people transcend those categories so um thomas evans detour who i spoke about who makes incredible interactive paintings he's definitely pro on the uh on the painting and sort of interactivity side but in terms of electronics when he started with us and in terms of the touchboard he was more on the maker sort of element of that so you can mix different approaches in a way that seems very very much freer now you've got the ability to you know internet delivery of small parts and lots of companies especially in the uk selling these parts and developing again solutions to what people want. i want to add a display to that okay so we have a range of displays or i want to add um, a motor okay we have a motor driver board and i think a lot of that is driven again coming back to things like Kickstarter and, and social media and the, the feeling that there is, certainly if you look at my Twitter feed, there's an enormous number of people doing different really interesting projects and sharing it there and they may be getting interest and likes from people down the road and they may be getting it from the other side of the world and it, I think that feeling that you're connecting with a broader community that might not be so concentrated in the area that you live or that you might not see on a day-to-day -day basis it still somehow feels like what you're doing um, has a, a place to live online and, and within culture. Mm. Do, you, do you think the secret sauce is the analog nature of it? And, and the reason I ask is that we're, you know, we at Jack Morton are an experience agency and um, my, my kind of frustration sometimes is that there's this sort of separation of digital and physical as being two discrete things. And, and I, I am, I'm nominally a digital person, but I have a fundamental dislike of screens because I find them cold and inhuman and, and not a particularly nice user experience. And when you, when you start to combine your product with physical surfaces, you do get this really lovely sweet spot in the middle. You know, you can have, because a lot of your products work with really natural, nice, warm materials such as cardboard and paper, as well as like wood and brick, which are really nice from a human experience point of view, really kind of lovely and away from this kind of cold and sterile screens and glass and all that kind of stuff. Do you think that's the kind of the seek that's part of the secret sauce is just why it's taken off? Is it just it just looks really nice and natural and soft and warm and all those sort of words, all those lovely kind of human words? I think this is definitely an element of it. I wish I knew what the secret source was, then I could repeatedly do it uh, <laughs> in a way that was predictable. Um, I certainly think it, it has a big impact on the way that people perceive um, the piece that you create with it. I think screens are something that is hugely, or they are hugely important to our lives. Um, I'm going to leave here later and I'm going to check my route home on my phone. Mm. I'm going to check my message. I may check my emails just to check that, you know, nothing's happened between when I came in here and nothing I have to respond to. I'm tied to it. You know, I, I even do the terrible thing and the the little television I do watch, I will often sit there and I'll just check my phone. We're inundated with them. And I think we have this love-hate relationship that we are still trying to really get the balance 
right in our lives. You know, we obviously need screens, we benefit from them hugely, but at the same time, we're aware that the real world around us is equally important and we need to to balance that time and make time for it. And so I think that when you create interfaces that feel um, integrated and natural, like you're saying, I think any kind of screen break you can give to people that is still entertaining or informative, uh, there is there is a a strange and difficult to to describe attraction to something that feels physical and tangible and that doesn't live in a a world that is only three dimensional because our brain tells us it is, but actually something that we perceive not just with our eyes but with our hands uh, that we can walk around and that actually also multiple people can engage with quite easily. Right, the physical scale that you're able to achieve with with built objects is different screens. You can have a massive screen, but not everybody can be touching it. Um, and so I think it gives a nice alternative sort of outlet for that. Also visually, I think that this is what we do and and projection mapping have had this strange symbiosis as well, where I don't think when we started with the touchboard, we would have said, you know what, we should really keep a a close eye on projection mapping. Um, I've worked with people who've done huge projection mapping um, kind of projects in the past and a lot of the early experimentations with it, doing pseudo three-dimensionality with it and um, things like... um, and there's an artist whose name I can think, uh, cannot remember, but um, Amon Tobin, who did an enormous tour where the whole tour was really built around this set of boxes and him up in the middle and the kind of collapsing and moving sculptures and shapes around it. I think that captured people's imagination and continues to do so in the same way because although it is digital content in which we can do fantastic things that are hard to realize physically and we can play with our imagination and be very free but putting that onto physical surfaces and and playing that game as well makes it feel less trapped less cold like you say Um, and I think also just the fact that when you project light onto onto an object, you get some element of that object's natural behaviour. If you project onto plywood, right, you get the grain coming through it in a subtle way. It just changes the way that it, it, it hits us. So, yeah, I, I agree. I think it's exciting. I wish I was good at projection mapping, could do beautiful things as well. Because it's always uh, just really exciting to touch anything with your product on because it doesn't feel like it should do that. I think it's that, that moment of abruption where you're like, Oh, that shouldn't make that light up, but it does, and that that makes me feel quite excited. Like a, it's almost like a childlike state for me, but I can be a bit of a child, so it kind of makes sense. But I think, but we all have that childlike state. We all want to be surprised. I, there's mm. a chap I know called Adrian Westaway. Lovely, lovely man. Runs an agency called Special Projects, and Adrian's a magician. Yeah. And being a magician, he's also a designer. I met at the Royal College of Art, but being a magician has been a really important part of what he does and his design practice and I love it I honestly I'm an engineer I work with you know trying to break down the intangible into numbers so that I can repeatedly do it all the time I love being with Adrian and getting him to do close-up magic and I I never let him tell me anything about how it's done because I just want to kind of giggle and I want to enjoy that and I want there to be things in the world that I'm not trying to rationalise and break down. And I think you're right, one of the, the the nicest examples that we get, we've got projects with our work all up 
in our studio. And one of the ones that gets the best response we've had for ages is just a pad of our paint on the wall, a touchboard and a, a lamp, a plug-in pendant lamp. And when you touch the touchboard, the lamp comes on. And people just love it. And there's another element to it which I think really resonates with people, which has got a tiny relay to do that. And a relay is an electromechanical device with a magnet. And when the magnet turns on, it pulls two switch contacts together to complete the circuit. And it makes this tiny tick. Yeah. And people touch it, there's a tick, and there's light. And I, again, I, I'm not convinced we could have imagined the response that people would get from that but we we can see it but the nice thing is it's so quick to iterate that you can iterate around these things try lots of things see what works and then focus on understanding why those things works you know we can iterate and we've done this in the past in in the workshop if we're working on a particular design or a particular interface say for a b2b partner we can iterate almost unlimited numbers of ways in time we're limited purely by the silk screen uh, that we have and how quickly we can turn out prints and make small modifications to see what works what doesn't and how we can optimize things so i think that the magic is, is a big part of the the appeal um and i think that you can get to that magic because of the rapidity of the iteration and it's the the the, the, the magic is the i think the magic is the secret sauce because the magic is this is 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 the joy of it and when, when we take people around our labs we have here we have a variety of interactives that do various different things um the one that creates the most emotional responses of joy and of surprise and delight is our touch wall and i think it is because it is that lovely playful analog nature of it and we can kind of get a bit obsessed in the experience industry about you know return on investment and what are the what are the kpis and how measurable is it but i think the truth of it is it's soft metrics not hard metrics and the return on an experience is an emotional response and that emotional response comes from things like lovely playful again kind of analog the fact that a poster can be interactive the fact that you have your little postcards that you've you've shown us which are just simple cardboard postcards that you can slot in that that plays it's music isn't it that plays yeah that was a project by uniform and, and yeah yeah they they gave away postcards that that yeah were able to be slotted into something that played music based on those but you had a simple giveaway like you say that you could touch feel turn over examine to your heart's content and be be convinced that it's just paper and ink and yet it, yeah. it reveals this this hidden experience and 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 that I would assume is a very memorable experience and actually quite scalable because it's really low cost because it's it's ink on cardboard isn't it I mean you've got the electronic component to it that you slot it into but you know you do have that kind of sweet spot of something which is that creates this joy but is actually is actually scalable without being too complicated yeah it's definitely scalable it's also I mean I think a lot about the impact electronics traditional electronics is very hard to recycle uh, you've got fiberglass resin yeah, yeah. Uh, stuff like that but it, ink on or paint on paper as pretty recyclable mm. and that i i do think and because that's the bigger part you know a big part of what we're trying to do uh in our b2b function with um trying to explore smart and intelligent surfaces is to create the smallest possible piece of electronics that connects connects to the largest possible print which is low cost recyclable and so on to create in you know sensors on an enormous scale to create 
walls that sense that can sense the way you are, flooring that can sense room occupancy, or even from a medical point of view, detective people have fallen, things like that. Um, but to do it in a way that has minimal impact, you know, I don't want to be creating fiberglass boards that are one meter by one meter for one thing they're very expensive but the, the recyclability is important you know yeah. it's, it's not a we're beyond greenwashing now i think greenwashing was was something that sort of five ten years ago people tried to do um whether it was from a business point of view or even from kind of understanding their own existence but it's very clear and becoming increasingly clear that the limited resources we have have to be put to use carefully. And so to be able to, to contribute to that, I think other things that are the projects that we've worked on where some of our sensors um, can detect events that reduce the use of harmful chemicals as well, um, that allow you to direct chemical use in particular areas. All of these kinds of things, it's about paying attention to what you're seeing and also not being afraid to make mistakes but again this is where it comes back to if you can iterate quickly you can make mistakes cheaply and you can do that you know internally as you're developing uh, experiences I'm sure that you want to be able to get to something play with it have as many people touch it as possible try and break it yeah. tell them you know tell you what they like about it tell you what they don't and you're looking for new ways to engage with people because as you say if you, if you can imagine CES I didn't go this year but uh, some of the team did, and they took out uh, one of our prints, which was an enormous 1.2 by 2.4 meter print with a tiny, tiny sort of two postage stamp uh, PCB attached to it, and it was sensing across that whole space. And they were competing with countless screens, with DJs, with people doing all mm. sorts of kind the of Las Vegas effect. Exactly, you know, and it's it's this whisper to be heard in a in a loud environment thing that. I also think is again good for mental health you know you've you've got a responsibility with any marketing or advertising to try and convey useful messages right Ass assuming that you're in a position where you have a product that you would like to sell and you think that it would improve people's uh, lives to know about this product you have a responsibility to try and do that in a way that doesn't kind of use tricks or, or tug at people's um, emotions in a way that can be damaging. You know, when we see advertisements on television for bigger flat screen TVs and stuff that makes it seem that we have to aspire to this thing mm. or there's something missing within us or, or that we won't be, um, you know, culturally up to date or whatever. That's quite a different thing to saying. I mean, for me, the only reason that we have a TV with HD, we're, we're way behind the times at home. I like this because it's always a nice surprise for me when we get a new telly and I'm like, oh, that's nice. We, we only went HD a few years ago and the main motivation was actually the ability to watch really nice nature programs, mm. right? Which I think is a lot of people's excuse when they really want a screen for sports, uh, which also look great on HD, mm. obviously. But the motivation for me was a positive one. Like I like watching nature documentaries of the limited telly that I do. And it was a positive push rather than a negative pull. And I think that can be, I, I know little about marketing, about um, you know experiential design, but I think having positive pushes always feels like you're involving people in a positive, in a 
proactive way, come and join us. You know, come and be part of something that's fun. And I think that, again, a lot of the videos that I showed in the presentation that I did, it seemed like people wanted to be there. They wanted to join in the fun rather than they felt like they'd be missing out if they weren't there. And I think it's a subtle thing, but... Yeah, can't can't disagree with any of that. Thank you very much. I know you've got a you've got a dash okay. off. Yes. Um, I don't want to keep you too long, but thank you very much. That was great. that's okay. No, I really enjoyed that. Thank you. Yeah. No. And where can people all. find out more about you? Uh, so uh, bearconductive.com. Uh, that's B A R E, and then the word conductive.com. Take a look there. Um, and yeah, we're also Twitter, Instagram. Look for Bear Conductive. Get in touch. And if people have questions or things they want answered, we always we always try and make sure that we we leave no questions unanswered. Oh, and um, you you mentioned uh, Bear Conductor, potential Bear Conductive platform coming up. Yes. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about that before you go? So, as I said in the presentation, we are developing more and more. Um, projects directly with businesses where we're helping them develop solutions for the challenges they have and as part of that play we are understanding that uh, that providing a service that is not just hardware or the design of sensors but also access to data in an organized uh, sort of cloud platform that gives you insights and collation is really important so we're starting to develop that there is actually uh, a very small website for this now bearconductive.technology um, which is just a little hint at, at what we're doing on that front but that's that's an active area of development for us and is going to grow enormously in the next few years and is that strictly facing b2b not particularly so we're developing it around uh, the b2b functions that we are we're trying to work on but i have no doubt that this will trickle through to our consumers as we start to understand what people really need what people really want and how we can make a product that will be useful for everybody um, we're always uh, evolving our offerings and sometimes the consumer side drives the business side but i think at, at this point the business side will start to drive the consumer um and i can't tell you what shape it'll take it because we're still learning learning it ourselves yeah. but we are we're clear it's part of what we're going to need to Again, it's that feeling out what the audience want and growing around it, feeling, growing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Rather than being dictatorial about it. Yeah. Sometimes leading, sometimes following. And also being ready to say, you know, that didn't work. We should pivot or we should uh, learn from the mistakes on that. And yeah, just being as much as we can thoughtful and responsive and not frightened of of having made a mistake and learning from it. Great. Stefan, thank you very much. Thanks for coming in. Thanks. That was really fun. Yeah. Thank you very much, Stefan, for coming in and sharing some of your time. If you haven't ever used a Bear Conductor product before, go out and try some, especially the ink. It's really great fun, very easy to use. Also, check out their Instagram. You can see what people have made with their products as well as the products themselves. If you have any questions or thoughts, please get in touch. GenuineXPodcast at jackmorton.co.uk And don't forget to like and subscribe for more episodes.